What's going on, everybody? Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome into the Bell Ringer podcast hosted by Sixers Wire of USA Today Sports Media Group. I am your host, the editor of the Sixers Wire site, Kai Carlin. And today, guys, I have a very special guest with me today, the man who knows all things Houston Rockets, the editor of our Rockets Wire site, my guy, Ben DeBose. What's going on, Ben? Oh, busy day, as I'm sure you know in Philadelphia. What's going on, Kai? Man, really busy day for both of us, man. Maury comes to Philadelphia. They hire two assistant coaches. The Rockets make a hire on a new head coach for you. And we're going to kind of talk about all of it today. So the biggest thing, Ben, obviously, is Daryl Maury is now running the basketball operations for the Philadelphia 76ers. He had a hell of a run with the Rockets. Yep. Uh, he came there in, I think, 2006. He got promoted to general manager in 2007. He kind of transitioned the Rockets from the Tracy McGrady, Yao Ming era into the James Harden era. He did so very smoothly. He was very quick. Uh, now that he's in Philadelphia, though, Ben, what, what, what do you think he could really do with this roster? This isn't exactly a Daryl Morey-type roster. Well, the interesting thing about Daryl is that he's creative. One of the unfair critiques that I think Daryl gets from a lot of people around the NBA, they look at the way like a certain team in Houston plays and they think that, oh, this is Daryl's style. Honestly, Daryl Morey's style is more about like zigging when everyone else zags. That's how I would describe it. Like, of course, he's going to use analytics and he's not the biggest fan of mid-range shots, except with, you know, the Chris Paul types where it's, you know, just truly elite (laughs) at them. But like, you know, people have this fixation on, oh, you know, the Rockets, especially under Harden and Chris Paul, played a ton of iso ball. And a lot of people think, you know, aesthetically had their issues with that. No, I don't think Daryl Morey is necessarily a huge fan of iso ball. It just so happens that, you know, number one, James Harden's probably the best isolation player in NBA history. Uh, Chris Paul, you know, especially in his prime, was very good at it. And also their chief rival was the Golden State Warriors, who played the exact opposite way. You know, they had all the the shooting, the free-flowing ball movement. And, of course, you're trying to beat a team that's easily the most talented in the NBA. What's the best way that you can beat them? Probably do the opposite because you do the opposite. You slow the game down. You make it ugly. Um, you make them uncomfortable. And I right. think, you know, short of Chris Paul's hamstring injury, that's actually what they did successfully, especially in that 2018 playoff series. So that's what I would say with Gerald. You know, there's a lot of people that look at it and say, well, you know, Ben Simmons, uh, Joel Embiid, you know, a guard who doesn't really shoot, a big man. And, of course, this is the architect of small ball. And, by the way, I should throw in small ball as, as part of that same example. The Rockets went to small ball this past year basically as a counter to the Lakers because the Lakers right. were the number one team in the West all season long. And, you know, they had this front line of LeBron James, Anthony Davis, you know, either JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard. And they were just going to be better than you if you played traditionally. So Daryl went with a small ball, not because I think he believed that's the only way to play, but it's more like, okay, you're not going to beat the Lakers trying to beat them at their game. So why not try and do it differently? And, you know, the interesting thing about it, you know, the Rockets did lose to, to the Lakers in the playoffs. That's true. But actually, the Rockets in some ways forced the Lakers to adapt to them. If you remember, they did. Uh, you know, JaVale and Dwight didn't play at all. Uh, they had Marquise Morris at the five. Yep. And, you know, the Rockets, they went small because their calculation was, look, the Lakers are way too big. They're way too athletic. They're going to get these rebounds. Um, we just can't compete with that. So why don't yeah. we go for the math advantage of all these threes, just space the floor like crazy. And honestly, the plan worked pretty well but what happened the lakers just made threes at a much higher clip than they did in the regular season and honestly that was the story of the lakers entire playoff run they made a lot of shots they didn't make during the season and ultimately if the lakers with their size if they didn't make those three pointers i mean they're pretty damn unstoppable and that's what played out 
But anyway, exactly. like, yeah, to get back to the Sixers, like, that's why I don't necessarily agree that, you know, that, oh, Daryl can't work with Simmons or Embiid. No, I mean, he he built those teams with the Rockets the way he did just because it was sort of like, you know, again, zig where other teams zag, you know, just, just kind of the what he thought was the best foil for right. the Warriors or, or the Lakers. I mean, I think you can win with, uh, with a Daryl system and Simmons and Embiid. And, you know, certainly, you know, when Daryl first got to Houston, he had Yao Ming. They built teams around him. And look at this past year, how they built around Russell Westbrook, a guard that can't shoot. And, you know, Westbrook in the bubble, people have kind of a misperception of Westbrook because – or I feel like his time in Houston because he didn't play well in the playoffs – but he didn't play well in the playoffs or up to his standard, I should say, because number one, he had COVID. And then number two, right. he had the quad strain. Yeah. If you think back to January, February, and March before the hiatus, Westbrook was playing some amazing ball. I mean, he, he was, was playing really well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and so people, you know, and they completely, you know, redid that system. Uh, Daryl did to kind of, you know, put in more shooters to give him more driving lanes, that kind of stuff. So I would say it's an odd fit on the surface, but when you dig deeper, I mean, uh, like I said, Daryl more than any style, I think Daryl's creative, and so I think he'll find a way to bring the best out of him. And I do not agree at all with some of the takes I've seen that, well, this means that one of Simmons or Embiid is on the way out. No, those are two quality guys. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, honestly, Kai, I would just say at a very high level, the reason he did this, you know, I've seen a lot of people say, oh, you know, is an indictment on Tillman Fertitta and ownership or the Sixers. Honestly, the reality of it, Kai, James Harden's 31, Russell Westbrook's about to turn 32 in a couple of, in a couple of weeks. Um, if they don't win it, this year or next, at some point, they're going to have to be rebuilding. Daryl's youngest kid just graduated high school. And unless he wants to be a Houston lifer, i.e. be in with the Rockets for 10, 15 more years, he's already been here 15, right. then this is probably the best time to move on. And the reality is, you know, I don't think it's anything personal to the Rockets. It's just, you know, again, Harden and Westbrook are 31 and 32. Uh, ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are 24 and 26. It's exactly. just, it, exactly. it's just difference. I mean, those guys have five, six more years of prime compared to uh, James and Ross. And that's just, you know, that's just the reality. I don't think it's necessarily anything more than that. I just think it's kind of like, if you're going to make a move, then it, it makes sense. If, if you don't want to do a rebuild and he has East coast ties and there's been rumors of him wanting go, to go back to the East coast. I'm sure you remember the Sixers pursued him in 2018 as well. It just didn't work out. Right. To me, it, it's just about the numbers and predominantly, you know, people hear numbers and they think finances no i think it's a numbers to ages of the star players and just makes more sense for him in philly no and honestly what you were just mentioning about how daryl Morey could be so creative when it comes to winning on the basketball court what i, I don't know if you remember this but jj reddick came out and said that um elton brand basically said in his exit interview we want to get bigger so we can challenge the milwaukee bucks and yeah. that is and that is why you know we're not going to you know retain you or anything like that and then that's when reddick knew he was going to sign with the new orleans pelicans so when it comes to Maury coming in now to this situation in Philadelphia, do you kind of for, do you foresee him kind of looking at, El, at Elton Brand and being like, okay, listen, the Bucks are a big team. They got Giannis, they got Lopez, they got the, uh, the other Lopez, they got Middleton, they got a lot of size. What if we did it differently and went a little small ball like like I did in Houston? Yeah, and of course, small ball in Philly is relative because Embiid does have the ability to stretch the floor. Right. So, so when we talk about yeah, when we, when we talk about Houston not doing it, it you know, I, I would point out that they didn't want to do it with uh, Capella, who definitely doesn't have that sort of range. But right. yeah, honestly, in my opinion, if any Sixers fan, it, when it when it comes down to beating the Bucks, and I know the Bucks didn't win the East, but obviously they're the best team on paper uh, from a talent perspective. 
go back and watch it was in early august the game uh rockets bucks it was a sunday night abc game from the bubble that is the blueprint i think for how gerald morey you know because honestly and that's another reason for small ball i mentioned the lakers first but honestly if they got to the finals i think they knew that the bucks were the likely favorite to get there and there's a lot of similarities between the bucks and the lakers in terms of stylistically uh how big they are and how they like to play so that game Boy, the Rockets, they had like double the threes. I think they had like 65 threes. It was some crazy number. And a lot of them were just wide open from the corners. So, yeah, I would say that's one, if you're a Sixers fan, go back and watch. And, you know, especially like the forwards, Tucker, Covington, House had so many looks. And, of course, it also opened up the lines, uh, the driving lanes for uh, Westbrook who really took over late in that game and got them the win. But I would say, yeah, that's a, that's a good blueprint. I would, I would just say based on Maury ball in Houston, it's not so much that Maury believes that you have to go small, but yeah, yeah, the best way to counter the bucks might be the same way that the Rockets tried to counter, you know, the, the Lakers this past year. And again, like part of it, you know, I'm sure some people listening will say, okay, but the Rockets did that and then they lost. Well, that's true, but as I said earlier, I would say the, the small ball was actually, yeah, it, it was actually pretty effective. Uh, it, yeah, it forced the Lakers to downsize. They lost because, you know, Markeith Morris, Rajon Rondo, they just hit him with a barrage of threes. And, you know, if that happens, you just got to tip your hat. There's not that much you can do about it. So philosophically, I still think it was sound. And, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all, especially with, you know, the Sixers going to have the, the perfect storm, I feel like, in that, you know, you have a big man in Joel who's elite, but he can also shoot out to the three-point line. So right. it works pretty well, I think, for Gerald's system. But yeah, the guy who's kind of a fish out of water, I feel like, is Al Horford. I just don't know yeah. if you know if yeah. Horford makes sense. Although I will say, Gerald in Houston pursued Horford a couple of times. But yeah, given how they want to play now, I just don't know if he's a fit. Yeah, I'm not really sure how you can really move forward with this fit between Simmons, Joel, and Al. Um, yeah. To that point, I know Daryl is obviously not a guy who's um, who's ever been really afraid to like make a bold make a bold move in terms of trading for agency wherever. So obviously he's got two albatross contracts that he's looking at right now. He's got Al yep. Horford. He's got Tobias Harris, and I think Harris is probably the guy that will be kept just because Tobias yep. had a great relationship with Doc Rivers with the Clippers. Uh, he had career numbers under Doc Rivers with the Clippers. So probably Harris would probably be the one guy that Daryl probably like, okay, between the two of you, I'm going to keep. But in terms of Al Horford, if, if, if you're Daryl Morey and you're looking at the rest of your roster, do you try to entice the Kings to give up a buddy healed or yeah. do you hit up the New York Knicks? Cause the Knicks are a team that is reportedly willing to take on bad contracts right now in order to acquire an asset. So yeah, like, a couple of avenues he can go. I will. I'll also throw in one more, uh, just from our perspective in Houston. I would also keep an eye on Eric Gordon, and let me mention why that is. Maury is a guy who historically deals with his prior executives a lot. The blockbuster Robert Covington deal in February, when the Rockets went small, you know, moved Capella to Atlanta, that was prominently between the Rockets and Timberwolves. Who's the Timberwolves head of basketball operations? Gerson Roses, Gerson who of Roses. course was Maury's top guy in Houston. Now yeah. Maury's replacement with the Rockets is Raphael Stone, who replaced Roses as the number two. So there's a relationship there. Gordon had a had a bad year this past year. Uh, he he's still only 31, but he had a bad year largely because um, he had knee surgery in uh, November. He actually played pretty well in the playoffs, I thought, but um, 
yeah, the regular season, he had these ongoing knee issues. But before the season began, last August, you know who the guy was that gave Eric Gordon that, that big deal? And it is a big deal, but people kind of misunderstand it. The, the last year, so technically, like, people make a big deal. It's like, oh, it's four years, $75 million. Actually, it's basically like three years, 53. The last year, like the fourth year only takes effect, I think, like if, if Gordon makes an all-star team, which come on. So yeah. that, that's one <laughs> yeah. of those that like that deal was put out there or, or that last year was so the agent could look good. Well, let's right. be real about that, no, you know, sure. in terms of what the max salary is. Um, but, the, but the point is, I mean, Maury liked him a lot enough to give him three years, $55 million. And while he did have a bad year this past year, again, I'm pretty confident that was, uh, had a lot to do with injuries. Uh, the bottom line, the Sixers need more shooting. And, yeah, you know, definitely yeah. I think you would love to go younger first. If you could get a buddy healed, absolutely. I think they would love to do that. But as a backup plan, I absolutely could see uh, Gerald Morey, you know, checking back in with his old team and seeing um, what it would take to get Eric Gordon loose because – Again, there was a reason why Maury gave him that deal last offseason, and I don't think one injury played year, he only played like 30 games in the regular season, is enough for Gerald to think that all of a sudden he can't play anymore. So I would just say keep that in the back of your mind as well. Right. And you know what? I was actually just thinking about that, Ben, because it's not, I've always said this to people, it's not like Al Horford just completely dropped off. He's in, The reason why his numbers were so low is because they're asking him to play a small ball power forward yeah. next to ne- next to a more dominant center and next to a point guard who really won't shoot the ball. So that's why Horford's numbers were just so low this year. But if, if you really look at Al Horford as what he did as a center, Horford still proved that he could play at a yeah, high yeah. level in this league. So to that point, if Maury were to hit up Houston and be like, hey, look, this is what Al did as a center. You guys need some type of size, yeah. obviously, just something down there. Give us Eric Gordon. Do you think uh, Stone would do something like that? I think they consider, but the difficulty is the salary because I, I think like Gordon next year, his first year figure is about like 17, 18. Horford's right. like 30 something, right? Yeah, Horford's making something ridiculous next year. Yeah, <laughs> so how do you bridge that gap? And the problem for the Rockets is that the only way they could bridge it, they could, uh, the only like filler contract they have of any substance is Tucker but I don't think they'd want to give both Gordon and PJ Tucker because that just, you know what I mean? That's right, just doesn't yeah. make sense from a basketball perspective. But with that said, you know, you can aggregate salaries. And if there's one thing about Daryl, you know, you can bring a third team or fourth team into the mix. You know, I mentioned the Covington deal. That was four teams. Think yep. back to when he acquired Chris Paul from the Clippers, how he canvassed literally like the entire NBA. So that's why when I say creative, that's what I mean. Like just bringing in these guys out of nowhere to right. somehow make the math work. So it's one of those, it would not be easy to do a Gordon plus for Horford. However, if anybody can figure out the math, Daryl Morey might be it. The issue is that, you know, you'd have to have some more coming out from Houston, most likely. And um, I don't think the Rockets would want P.J. Tucker to be uh, part of that. But it's close enough that it's at least interesting. And then I could also see, you know, while we're talking about, you know, his old team, Daniel House could be one to watch too. Daniel I don't think the Rockets are looking to move him, at least not from an asset perspective, because he's one of their only younger players, and he honestly does have pretty good potential. But he the flip does. side is, what happens with the relationships between House, James Harden, and Russell Westbrook after that bizarre bubble situation, the COVID tester, all right. that stuff? You know, it's one of the things. I don't think the Rockets are wanting to deal Daniel House, but 
you know, what happens if James Harden goes up to Raphael Stone and says, hey, I don't want to work with this guy anymore. You know, yeah, I'm not exactly. saying that that... I'm not saying that that has happened, but if somehow it did and much crazier things have happened, you know, and quite frankly, it'd be understandable if, if James Harden is really upset about that, given the fact that he's a superstar and, you know, here's this role player who honestly let down the team. Let's be honest about it. It is what it is. Yeah. Um, you know, so I'd say that's another name to, to watch for as well. That might make sense as far as, a, you know, another depth forward that might make sense and definitely a shooter as well. Right, because as you mentioned, Ben, I mean, obviously Philadelphia needs a lot of shooters. So if, if Houston were to make Eric Gordon or Daniel House available, and we all know about Daryl's creativity. We've talked about a lot so far on this podcast. Like, you have to believe Daryl will be on the phone and be like, hey, let, let, let's work something out. So yeah. I do believe that he is the right fit for this Sixers team because to really get the team back on track, you're going to have to get creative. Uh, just for the simple fact that Elton Brand really did kind of mess up a little bit, giving out these huge contracts to Al Horford and Tobias Harris. So I think Daryl really is the right guy to come in here and be like, okay, listen, Elton, we're going to do it this way. I'm going to work something out. Mm -hmm. And then we're, we're still going to build around Ben and Joel, at least for the time being. Now, one more Daryl question for you before we kind of move on to uh, other topics. Do you think he's going to value Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons as highly as say you know the public perception is like do you do you think that he will do everything he can to keep them together or do you think maybe after a year if they fail he's going to try to move one of them yeah um i mean i think with daryl anything is possible i would not write it off especially because 2021 is going to be so crazy with all the big free agents right that what people underestimate when there's a huge free agency class like 2021 because of sort of the seismic shift, it's not just the teams with cap room or the free agents. It's like last year, people didn't even see the Paul George situation happening, and that also led to Russell Westbrook going to Houston. But the Clippers, to convince Kawhi, made that mega deal for Paul George, which, of course, is working out amazingly well for the Thunder, given all the draft picks they got in that. But I could right. see something like that to where – you know, even if the Sixers on paper aren't necessarily set up to have, you know, like an easy route to cap room at the same time, you know, if somebody makes an Oklahoma or, or a Clippers to Oklahoma City type offer next summer, that's something I think a lot of GMs are going to be open to because you're going to have a lot of these teams to cap room that are desperate to sell themselves to, you know, Giannis or Kawhi or whoever the top free agent is. And they're right. going to say, hey, if I can pair you with, you know, and if that guy is Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid, then, you know, I bet Daryl would at least listen, depending on how the first year goes. With that said, I mean, I think he's bullish on them. To me, there's a reason why. Think back to 2018, when the Sixers pursued Maury, and according to, I think it was uh, Kevin Arnovitz of ESPN, it actually got pretty close. Think back to the Rockets in 2018. That was a year they honestly should have won the NBA title. They had the best record 65 and 17. That's yep. a tough year or a tough team to walk away from. James Harden was still just 28 years old at the time. And apparently he almost did. In my opinion, that does not get that far down the tracks for any team. There had to be something. And, you know, yeah, he, he's from the East Coast. He want to get back to that area of the country. I can buy that. But, again, Daryl Morey, you know, he's a highly sought-after guy, even with the, the whole China situation. I don't think that's really held down his market all that much because he can build right. an NBA team. Right. So, to me, for him to go that far down the tracks, even in 2018 with Philly, given how strong the Houston situation was then, 
that tells me that he, at least in one of those, and possibly both, that he, that he really likes Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. So while I wouldn't write it off, to me, there's a lot of little clues that Joel really likes that situation, I think. And as he should, I've always said that Philadelphia should uh, really do everything they can to build around Joel and Ben and move forward because you, those, those two types of talents do not come along, at, you know, often. The minute you have, like, those two types of talents, you have to continue to build and put the right pieces around them. The reason why they struggled this year is because they took away the shooting and replaced them with, you know, Al Horford and Josh Richardson, who are fine players, but they don't fit next to Joel and Ben. That, like, the reason why their offensive rating was so low this year is because the pieces around them. At least that, that's just kind of how I see it when it comes yeah. to the Sixers team. And I think Daryl can come in here and realize and be like, okay, listen, we need some tweaking. We need some shooting. We need some, uh, some space, really, for these two young guys to go to work. So I really do believe that you're probably right, Ben. I mean, Daryl probably is, like, thinking Ben and Joe, and he's going to kind of move forward with that. Uh, moving on to the, to the next topic, they did hire Sam Cassell today as well to join Doc Rivers' staff. Now, obviously, Sam never coached in Houston, but he played in Houston. He was part of the Clutch City teams that won championships in 94 and 95. So what are your thoughts on, on Sam Cassell? What do you think he can really do in Philadelphia? Uh, obviously, we, again, obviously, he didn't coach in Houston, but I wanted to get your thoughts on Sam Cassell real quick. Yeah, um, it's interesting because if you remember, last month, right after D'Antoni left, Cassell was one of the first names mentioned for the Rockets. And then for right. various reasons, uh, they never really got that far. Maybe one of those reasons was that, you know, he was someone that that Gerald really liked. And, um, and then it became clear that Gerald wasn't going to be the guy making this hire. So maybe he liked that. Also, you know, it's worth noting that the Rockets had interest in Doc Rivers as well. Uh, I believe we talked about that a few weeks ago. And, of course, he ended up picking the Sixers instead, I think, for many of the same reasons that that, that Maury did. But the point is, there's definitely connections between Maury and Cassell. And there was a report today that, you know, that Maury and Doc are on the same page as well. Of course, the Clippers and Rockets have been, I, you know, they've competed with each other. I wouldn't call them rivals the last few years. And, of course, they did work together on the deal that I referenced in 2017 that brought uh, Chris Paul to the Rockets. So, you know, I think it's one of those things, even though they haven't worked together, Maury, Rivers, Cassell, there's a lot of familiarity there. And yeah, it, you know, Cassell by, you know, he was one of the guys I was really intrigued by with the Rockets search. I mean, he's been reviewed really well by all of his players. And to me, I, the, one of the reasons I liked him with Daryl is that, you know, he's a good contrast. Like Austin Rivers has talked when he was with the Clippers he talks about how Sam Cassell was really good for his overall development, not just as yeah. a shooter, but at the mid-range game. That's something that um, that Cassell, when he was a player with the Rockets and all these other teams in the NBA, was really good at. And, you know, superficially, people will say, oh, you know, mid-range guy with Gerald Morey, how's that going to work? But the reality is, you know, it's good to have people with different skill sets. And so I think, you know, Gerald at a very high level is certainly going to go after players that play a certain way uh, analytics friendly style uh, you know everybody understands that right. but at the same time in terms of maximizing the pieces on your you know on your court for what they are I mean Cassell has been I don't know why he has not gotten a head coaching job yet but he's been reviewed for a while so uh, you know as one of the top prospects so if you're Philly and you bring in you know you bring in an established head coach and then you bring in an assistant that's got that kind of pedigree I mean I don't see how you're not excited by that to me it's a pretty good hire yeah, he, was, he spent 11 seasons as an assistant so far. Um, the first five were with the Washington Wizards, and then the last six 
uh, were under Doc Rivers and the Clippers. So you mentioned the mid-range game, and I mean, if he can get Ben to even shoot some type of mid-range shot, this, I really do believe that that can really make such a difference for this team. The, the, the issue is I've seen Ben knock down shots in practice. I, we've all seen him knock down shots and pregame and everything else. But for some reason, he, he won't pull them out in a game. And if Sam Cassell can be a guy to come in there and be like, listen, uh, you don't need to be Steph Curry, but you got to at least take your range out outside the paint, at least shoot some type of mid-range shot to begin to space the floor a little bit. So, yeah. I, I mean, if Cassell can do that, I feel, I feel like that's going to be, like, really huge for not only Simmons' yep. development, but for Philadelphia's as well. Now, we're going to end it off with this. Uh, the 2020-21 season. Uh, no, nobody really knows like yep. when next season is going to begin. Uh, they're hoping for December 22nd. The players apparently are pushing for MLK Day. Makes sense. The you know the NBA season just ended about two and a half weeks ago, and you know teams like the Lakers and the Heat and even the Nuggets and the Celtics are, are going to need some time to kind of recoup and get their bodies ready to go for another grind of a season. So I think I think that they're going to start MLK Day you know, in January, I, I think that mm-hmm. just makes the most sense. But do you think that if they were to start in January, do you think that they'll just kind of go with the 50 game schedule to kind of get themselves back on track for October for 2021, 22, or do you think they're really going to try to push for that 82 game season? I think it'll be shorter. I mean, I don't think it'll be 50, but you know, they mentioned even with the Christmas start that was proposed, I think it was a 72 game schedule. Yeah. So if it was MLK Day, maybe you'd have like 65, somewhere in that range. Uh, actually, wouldn't be that dissimilar from this year. But yeah, I mean, I, the bottom line, I think they they really want to get back to normal because, you know, the political angles were overblown. The bigger issue with regards yeah. to like the ratings this year, it's just the competition. I mean, the NBA, and I'll be honest, other than the Rockets, I watched, you know, less NBA basketball deep in the playoffs than I normally do because, you know, it coincided with the start of football season, with the end of the baseball season. So the stretch run, you know, obviously here in Houston, you know, the Astros are a huge deal. So right. watching them late in the regular season and in the playoffs, I watched less NBA than I normally do based on those factors. I can only imagine how someone that's not, you know, paid to write about it w- would, um, right. would feel about it. So to me, they want to do everything they can to avoid playing into August and especially September. To me, that was just a disaster on a lot of fronts. I don't think it's about the Olympics. I just think, yeah, whatever they can do, even if it's a shortened season, get back to normal in 2021, 2022, uh, because I think it's pretty clear that June is the sweet spot. Last thing I'll throw out, it still would not surprise me if they were able to start on Christmas. I agree that especially, you know, MLK may be more likely because I think the Lakers in particular, LeBron has a lot of leverage. And if he, you know, pushes behind the scenes, that'll probably happen. But we're in an interesting spot. You know, we're about to go into November. And so we, we had this like glorious run of sports from like the end of July until now between, you know, baseball basketball hockey now football like everything at once and now other than football which is not an everyday of the week sport we've gone all of a sudden from all these sports to like nothing again exactly you know and so there is a void and so that's why there's so much more money that's why the nba is pushing christmas because their tv partners are telling them look we've got this real estate really up until mlb season starts which isn't until late late March, we've got this window on weeknights that if you can give us inventory, there's going to be a lot more money. So, um, so that's why I'm sort of torn. It's like, I, MLK day is probably the safe bet because whatever LeBron wants, he typically gets, let's just be honest. And the Lakers playing into, 
Lakers playing into October, that would be a very short offseason for them. On the other hand, there is more money, I think, in Christmas even than MLK Day. So it's one of those things. I still think MLK Day, if I had to bet, you're probably right. But I would not write off Christmas because it sounds like there's some additional money there. Yeah, and just for the simple fact that, I mean, Christmas Christmas Day in the NBA is always like a big thing. You know, they got the five games, like, you know, all day long. And I know their ratings are normally really high for Christmas Day. I do 100% agree with you about the fact about why the ratings were so low this year. Everybody wants to blame the political, you know, um, angles and everything. Mm -hmm. But it was pretty clear to me that, like, the casual fan is always going to choose football over basketball. Yeah. Because football is king here in this country. And then coincide that with, as you mentioned, uh, I mean, even a Houston Rockets fan is probably going to choose the Houston Astros and, uh, you know, their deeper run into the playoffs rather than watch the Rockets at that time. So, I mean, it kind of just goes back and forth. And there there were only only a couple of really things that kind of played into it, such as all those sports. So, like, people are really trying to hell-bent – we're so hell-bent on trying to make this about, yeah. like, the political messages. And, and, and it's like, no, yeah, well, and a, lot, and a lot of that's just because there's an election going on right now, yeah, and everybody tries to tie yeah. everything into that. But, you know, the easiest pushback that I point to, there's a graphic that shows it all. But, I mean, the PGA Tour and horse racing also had big declines. When right. they, they had big events in September that were typically in May or June, the same exactly. time frame, you know, like the Kentucky Derby, um, what was it, the U.S. Open in golf. Uh, and their ratings were way down as well for the same yeah. reasons that the NBA were. You, you know, football is king. And then beyond football being king, there's just an abundance of competition. There's so many options that generally you're going to be able to find another local event. And that's the right. big thing. Like the big challenges for sports with ratings is how do you captivate people around the country? And generally, you know, it helps when you're the only game in town. When you have yeah. all of these other sports and then, you know, MLS is picking up interest as well. MLS too, right? Everybody can find something local. And like you mentioned, you know, if you're, if you're in Houston and the Astros have a really good team, then you're going to be much more interested in the Astros trying to clinch a playoff spot and then do whatever they do in the playoffs than an NBA Finals involving the LA Lakers and the Miami Heat. That's just right. the way it is. Like, right. yeah, the NBA has benefited historically, like the NBA Finals, the Conference Finals, whatever it is. There's not that much competition in May and June. Even baseball, you know, look, it's a 162-game season, and you're not even at a halfway point, you know. Right. So right. you have people that are more interested, whereas this year, you know, it's not just, you know, football. That's part of it. But it's also you have all these other, you know, smaller sports. But at the same time, if it's your team, if it's your market, people yep. are going to watch that, especially if the alternative, you know, the Lakers and the Heat, you know, if you're not a fan of one of those teams, is it really that big of a deal? Right. So to me, yeah, the big priority for the NBA to sum it all up, get back to the normal calendar. I think that's what they're going to do. Yeah, I mean, it would definitely be beneficial for pretty much everybody involved. It, it, it also makes sure that, you know, you and I at least have a summer vacation, Ben. We, yeah, we, we, exactly. Yeah, we, we, get, we get a little summer break before, you know, everything kind of jumps back into it. So, uh, Ben, thank you so much for all of your Daryl Morey insight and talking basketball with me on this fine yep. Wednesday evening in October, where there is a lot more action going on off the court rather than on the court, which is weird for this time of year. But I mean, hey, we're all adjusting, right? Yep, exactly. You got you guys can follow Ben on Twitter at Ben DeBose. You can also check out his stuff on Rocketswire.com. Ben, thank you so much for joining me today, man. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me, bud. Also, final message: Batman is still an overrated superhero. When with that, we're out. We'll see you guys next time on the Bell Ringer. 